Welcome to the What Might Work podcast, recorded on Thursday, the 7th of January, 2021. My name is Michael Graham. And I'm Patrick Fisher. And in this podcast, we explore a range of ideas in education, leadership, and life. We take a look at research, share our experiences, and talk to experts and interesting people about ways to make your life and the lives of those around you a little bit easier. We're coming at you today from Gadigal Land in Sydney, and we'd like to pay our respect to Elders past and present, and thank you for listening, wherever you are. This podcast is brought to you by Hasday Education, where our goal is to foster better performance and better people. We offer coaching, private and group student tuition, and tailored professional development for individuals, schools, and other organisations. For more information, check the show notes for our website and socials. Enjoy the show. Hail and well met, Patrick. Hail and well met, Michael. First episode. Are you excited? I'm incredibly excited, Michael. It's a new year, new opportunities, and I think it's a great starting point for us to be having these discussions. You know what they say, from little things, big things grow. So, back to school season's approaching. Holidays have been pretty good so far. I hope you're feeling all refreshed and recharged. I'm probably still a couple of weeks off being ready to go back myself. But rather than feel sorry for ourselves, we're going to talk about a group of teachers who maybe aren't going back to school, but are heading into schools for the first time in 2021. Our beginning teachers. We know that there are going to be challenges for them, and I think we've all heard that piece of research from Aitzel that 50% of them won't make it five years into their careers. So what can we do? We've passed that five-year mark now. How can we support new teachers in getting through those first few tough years? Well, I think a really critical aspect of enabling teachers to get through those opening few years is the proactive implementation of a rigorous induction program that will allow them to navigate those challenges they find upon their initial immersion in a workspace. Whose role is it to implement an induction program? Well, I think there needs to be a collective responsibility for inducting staff. As educators, we develop a cohesive organisational identity. And I think it's important that every individual who comes into a workplace, they're provided with opportunities to collaborate with their new peers and be inducted into that space. So I think you've already answered some of this, but what is an induction program? Well, I think it's important for our conversation to develop a really clear definition of what an induction program is. And from my perspective, an induction program is a formalised process that every new participant in a workplace undergoes in order to develop their understanding of their roles, their responsibilities, the ethos of their organisation, and it's something that allows them to become acculturated to that new workspace. Pretty comprehensive. So, 
we had a little discussion beforehand and we decided that we'd frame this conversation around the strong start, great teachers model brought out by the Department of Education in New South Wales back in 2015. It's an evidence-based model that's based on a lot of current research from a lot of thought leaders. The model it talks about four phases of induction. There's the orientation, developing focus, refining practice, and gaining proficient accreditation, which is probably an area that's more applicable to schools than, than other areas. But I thought we'd start with an orientation. What goes into a quality orientation in your mind, Pat? Well, obviously the orientation is the beginning of the program and it's really important to hit the ground running in order to develop that shared understanding of what each participant will be hoping to gain from the induction process and how it will function as a collaborative space built on meaningful conversations. I think for a successful orientation, there needs to be the development of guidelines for the induction process where each participant can feel comfortable talking about their professional experiences in a really reciprocal, non-judgmental manner that is based on continuous improvement. So the model talks about five C's that go into the creation of a quality induction program. The first one being customised. Let me start you off with this. They don't give doctors and nurses the heart surgery patients on their first day. So why do we give new teachers the tough classes? That's a really thought-provoking question, Michael. There is an expectation that new teachers instantly take on the professional responsibilities of their more experienced peers. And as a system, there probably hasn't been enough consideration given into ways in which we can acclimatise our new staff to their roles and responsibilities in a more positive manner that is reflective of their current experience levels. I think in order to answer the customization, we need to look at it from two approaches. One is the individual and one is the whole school level. On an individual basis, I think it's important to recognise that each teacher who is entering a workspace will come in with unique skills, unique experiences that will shape what they want to focus on in these opening few years. I think it is really critical that we're responsive to these individual expectations. For example, within my initial experiences within the education system, an area I really wanted to focus on was my classroom management. And the induction program in which I found myself was really responsive to this individual need. There were opportunities provided to me to watch more experienced teachers who were deemed as experts in this domain. And that enabled me to develop my own professional identity, be reflective of my current strengths and areas in need of additional development, and identify mechanisms in which I could point towards areas for future development. So that explains the individual we see in front of us today. But how do we balance that with whole school priorities? I think it's really important that we ensure each individual's development is measured in alignment with a broader whole school focus. Within each educational system, there's going to be individual schools who are quite different from each other, whether it be the educational attainments of their students, 
their socioeconomic um, background of their students or their cultural context. I think it's really important that each school has really clear understanding of their context, their path to further development, and how they'll integrate these whole school priorities. Once again, I'll use my personal experience as a source for our discussion. When I had my initial appointment within a school, there was a literacy focus that was embedded as critical to the school's ongoing development. As a result, the induction program focused on the pedagogical approaches to literacy within the school and how these needed to be integrated into everyday classroom interactions. As a beginning teacher, this was really critical for my personal development because it showcased to me that the school had a formalized framework for teaching specific areas of growth and it also provided me with opportunities to reflect upon data that was gathered and how this reflected broader school trends and how I could participate in these bigger conversations that were going on all around me. So that was you well, eight years ago now, quite a long time ago. What about Patrick now? Patrick, the school leader, how do you customise your beginning teacher programs for new staff at your school? Well, you're right, Michael. There is a significant difference between Patrick, the beginning teacher, to my role as Patrick, the middle school leader. One of the most significant things you have to do with any induction program is ensure that it's responsive to the needs of the clientele who you are catering for. And I believe the most critical facet of that is to ensure that we adopt a growth mindset focus within the induction program. So we're identifying quantifiable measures for improvement that are achievable in a demarcated period of time. And I think the framework in order to do this is to have a concerted focus on growth coaching. As individuals and as collectives, we need to be reflective practitioners who have an understanding of where we are currently at and how we can have tangible strategies for future development. And I think it's really important as a leader to provide new staff with opportunities to participate in these conversations. Where do they want to be in the future and what are the strategies they're going to implement in order to get to those areas? The next C is connections. I guess we'll start with why are connections important for new employees in an organisation? I think it's really critical we consider the nature of work when reflecting upon connections. As every individual is going to spend such a significant part of their day within their workspace, it's really important that they quickly become an important member of their team and they feel connected to their broader organisation. And I think the best way to do this is to ensure that they have a sense of what their um, organization's culture is, what are the rituals within that culture, and what are the workplace norms. Once they develop that foundational knowledge, it's far easier for these individuals to positively interact with their peers and have a proactive role in shaping the direction of their team. You uh, mentioned the word important a couple of times there. What are the important connections that beginning teachers need to make? Obviously, every connection within a workspace is important. However, I think within education, 
there are a couple of really critical connections that are developed by each teacher that will shape their professional development. Firstly, the individual's connection with the principal is critical to their ongoing development. The principal has a very key role in shaping the organization's direction, fostering a positive culture, and directing each individual's personal development. Secondly, the supervisor's role within developing an individual is incredibly important. Obviously, the supervisor is going to be the individual who has day-to-day conversations about performance, about areas for areas of strength and areas of additional development. Thirdly, we need to talk about what is sometimes a more informal role, and that's the role of a mentor. In those first two connections we were talking about, principal and supervisor, they often focus on those managerial supervisory elements of the profession. For a mentor, this can be the more informal yet equally important connection that is focused on regular positive conversations within a safe space. The individual can reflect upon their professional development, reflect upon their practice, and consider areas for ongoing development. The next C is context. And I think this is the important one. I might get you to say a few words about it now, but I think we'll come back to this one a bit later so that everyone listening can hear about what this looks like in practice and what you've done in your school to support your beginning teachers. So why is context important? I think to talk about the importance of context, I'm going to invoke the old cliche that every school, while there may be similarities, is incredibly different. As a result, it's important that each induction program is reflective of what is unique about the school, whether it be a specific focus area, the socioeconomic context, the cultural context, or just the combination of individuals that comprise the school. Well, I think we're all excited to hear about how you've managed to weave this into some of the induction programs that you've run over the years. The fourth C, curriculum, can be a pretty nebulous word sometimes. But when we're talking about curriculum, which curriculum are we actually referring to? I think for induction programs, it's important to consider curriculum as what we need each educator to learn in order to be an effective practitioner. When talking about induction programs, a key element of the curriculum will be the Australian Professional Standards for Teachers, as these will be a reflective guideline that each individual can use in order to identify the elements of their professional practice and areas where they need to develop in order to effectively engage with the needs of students, parents, and the community. See, that's really interesting. When I think curriculum, my first thought is, what are the students learning? How are the students learning? The model refers to the four quality teaching questions that make up the teaching cycle. How do you see that fitting into an induction? Obviously, following the completion of their tertiary education, there is the presumption that each teacher does know their content and how to teach it. However, in practicality, there often needs to be some direction in effectively disseminating this content to students in order to proactively meet their needs. And I think there are a couple of different ways in which we can encourage new teachers 
to communicate their content mastery to students in the most effective manner. Firstly, I'd like to talk about learning intentions. Obviously with learning intentions, they provide each stakeholder within the classroom with a clear understanding of what they're learning within that lesson or cycle of lessons and its ongoing relevance to their academic development. Once teachers have properly and adequately verbalized these learning intentions to students, there's a shared understanding of the significance of what is being learnt within the classroom. Any tips on how we can make that work more significant? I think it's important to recognise that information, when it's delivered in isolation, is essentially meaningless. What we really need to focus on is ensuring students have an understanding of how the content they're being taught is relevant to their lived experiences. Obviously, for a teacher to adequately and effectively achieve this, they need to know their students and how their students learn. If teachers can develop a distinct understanding of the individual students that comprise their class, they can cater their lessons to each student's individual interests. Now, these last two elements of the quality teaching cycle are a bit more classroom-centred. And classroom also happens to be the fifth C of our 5C model. What skills do you need to focus on early on in your career to be successful in the classroom? I think it's really critical that we ensure we're delivering, delivering positive learning experiences for all of our students. I think as a beginning teacher, it's really critical to keep in mind that the group of 30 students in front of you are not a homogenous group, rather they have individual skills, they have individual needs, and they have individual interests. For a beginning teacher, one of the key areas of challenge is to ensure that the learning experience is meaningful for every single one of those students. And I think the most effective way to do this is to keep in mind the different learning styles that exist within every classroom and to ensure that you're differentiating to accommodate the needs of these different groups. Great tip. And the last one I think might be the most difficult as a beginning teacher, and that's assessment. So how can we as educational leaders ensure that our beginning teachers are using quality assessment practices in their classrooms? First and foremost, I think for any educational leader, they need to create a shared language of success for each member of their organisation. Every individual who comes into an organisation and is participating in an induction program needs to know what success looks like. How can they achieve it? How can they measure it? And how can they ensure that it is consistently occurring in all elements of their professional practice? And speaking from a teaching perspective, I think this is achievable through the implementation of success criteria. What are the criteria in which we define success? How can students achieve that? And how can they sort of showcase this within their learning experiences? Now, I learned when I was at uni that if I followed this quality teaching cycle, then I wouldn't need classroom management skills. But in the real world, how do I go about developing these classroom management skills? Or moreover, how can we as leaders make sure that our beginning teachers First port of call isn't just sending kids to the office, but developing real classroom management skills where they can manage other human beings 
and potentially one day become the leaders of the future. I think what's really interesting about what you said was managing other human beings. Effective educators are responsive to the needs of the other individuals within the classroom. And as a result, effective classroom management comes from engaging these individuals. It comes from ensuring that their learning experiences are meaningful to their lived experiences. And they sort of view the classroom as an exciting and engaging space. Obviously, for new and beginning teachers, there are going to be those challenging moments where their authority is challenged and they are having to deal with these difficult situations that come from any interpersonal interaction. I think it's really critical for beginning teachers to remember that consistency is the key to effective classroom management. As we're dealing with other human beings, we need to ensure that we're treating each individual in an equal manner and students are very clear in the understanding that their behavior will be dealt with in a consistent way. If a beginning teacher can manage to navigate these competing priorities, they're well on their way to establishing a safe and supportive classroom environment that is built on mutual respect, that's built on collaborative achievement, and that really celebrates success. So these five C's give us a framework for how to design and perhaps deliver an induction, but how do we assess it? How do we know it worked? Well, from a New South Wales perspective, I think the accreditation process really provides that formalised, centralised mechanism to evaluate the effectiveness of induction programs. Obviously, with our beginning teachers, they enter schools at the graduate level of achievement, and over the course of their development in those opening few years, they're moving from graduate to proficiency. I think for any educational leader, they can reflect upon the effectiveness of their induction program by the manner in which it guides their staff from this graduate level to a proficient level. And I think it's really important that we're constantly referring back to the key verbs that sort of differentiate between graduate and proficient teacher. So we look at the development of that autonomy within the classroom. We look at the development of collaboration within a faculty and a whole school, and we consider how that individual has changed from the day they entered our school to the day they're submitting their proficient teacher accreditation. So we've had a bit of experience running induction programs and mentoring beginning teachers over the course of our careers. And I thought I'd spend these last few minutes picking your brain for some of the things that you've done to make sure that these programs balance the goals of the school and the system with making the induction program a good experience for participants. So let's finish with five tips for anyone wanting to put together an induction program at their workplace. Well, I would say first and foremost, it's critical to establish the learning norms of the induction program. Similar to your everyday classroom practice, within an induction program, it's critical that every participant has a clear and distinct understanding of what the expectations are surrounding their participation um, and what they shall hope to achieve through the completion of the induction process. And with these learning norms, they may focus on basic sort of interpersonal interactions or they may focus on the manner in which constructive reflective feedback is given. However, I do really want to reiterate that it is critical 
we do this at the beginning of the induction process. So these learning norms can be established, they can be normalized, and they can constantly be referred back to throughout the entirety of the induction program. Secondly, I believe it's crucial that the induction program is centered around classroom practice. I'm sure all teachers have a story of participating in a professional learning session that probably veered too much to a theoretical basis and did not look at the classroom applications of these evidence-based pedagogies. However, I believe every effective induction program is making those constant links to classroom practice. How teachers can implement this in their classrooms to foster improved student learning outcomes. For example, lesson observations can function as a salient source of discussion for all participants. And I think the best framework in order to um, integrate lesson observations into a school or into an induction program is the instructional rounds process. By participating in the instructional rounds process, all individuals gain that exposure to classrooms from various KLAs, from teachers of differing experience levels, and they can develop an understanding of what are really the quantifiable characteristics of those master teachers. So if something like behavior management is an area for additional development, they can go into the classroom of an individual who's effectively, effectively using positive psychology within their classroom in order to create a really calm, responsive, and nurturing classroom environment. Thirdly, every induction program needs to be evidence-based, and I believe it is the responsibility of the individual leading the induction program to maintain a really firm grasp and understanding of contemporary research and how emerging research can be implemented into the induction program. In addition, Induction programs have the capacity to be a space of meaningful reflection. I think every teacher has had those moments where at the beginning of the school year, you immediately become consumed by the everyday grind of teaching your lessons, marking and reporting, planning and preparing. And as a result, you don't set aside those times for meaningful, sustained reflection of your practice. The induction program can function as a formalized space for beginning teachers to participate in this independent and collegial reflection about their practice, about their individual development, and about the way in which they can develop in alignment with the other members of their group. And finally, it needs to be centered around participant needs. Earlier in this episode, we were talking about the need for a contextualized approach to induction and how every school will have those unique characteristics and idiosyncrasies that set them apart from the school down the road. Similarly, every group you hold an induction process for is going to be different from the group that came previously. As a result, the individual in charge of the induction program has to have a really detailed and nuanced understanding of where each individual is at within their professional development, what are the areas they want to develop within their own practice, and what are the strategies that can be incorporated in order to facilitate this development. When I think about my own experiences as a middle leader, I can reflect upon the different groups I've inducted in different workspaces, and very, very quickly, I can identify the huge differences between their attainments when they started the induction program 
and their needs in relation to the workspace in which they found themselves. And that's our five tips from Patrick. If you're thinking of starting an induction program, or if you're a beginning teacher, I hope they've given you a few ideas to try along the way. And that's our show for today. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Michael. And we'll see you all next time. It's all good, man. Thank you for listening to the What Might Work podcast, brought to you by the team at Hasday Education. If you enjoyed this, hit subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you're using so that you never miss out on the discussion. We'd also love to hear what you think. Like, comment and share to get involved in the discussion and drop some feedback or suggestions for future episodes. Finally, check out the show notes for links to our website, socials and today's resources. Thanks for listening and until next time, we'd like to wish you all a very happy house day.